In this episode of Savannah, Georgia, Anything But Ordinary. Dollar is my first language and English is my second. And it took me years to actually appreciate Gullah because during school I was often teased because of the way I spoke. I use words like ting and they say thing. I use words like that and they say that. So little stuff like that. So it wasn't hard for me to catch on to English. Hey y'all, I'm Shannon. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Savannah, Georgia, Anything But Ordinary. During the triangular trade, enslaved West Africans were brought to the Atlantic coast, including coastal Georgia. Members of these Gullah Geechee families and their descendants eventually settled right here in Savannah in a quiet fishing community known as Pinpoint. Today, the Pinpoint Heritage Museum keeps the history of the Gullah Geechee people alive, celebrating their immense cultural contributions, especially to the surrounding area. In this on-site conversation, museum historian and storyteller Gail Smith tells us what it was like growing up in Pinpoint and what it means to be a member of the Gullah Geechee community today. Take a listen. My name is Gail Smith and I'm an historical interpreter at the Pinpoint Heritage Museum. Pinpoint is actually located on the outskirts of Savannah. It's just before you cross the first bridge going to Skidaway Island. Yeah, and it's really beautiful out here just to kind of paint a picture for people who maybe haven't been here before. If you have, you'll know what we're talking about. It is out on the marshes on on the edge of the Moon River and it has these amazing views of the water. Tell us a little bit about what people can expect when they come to pin, the Pinpoint Museum. What's the story being told here? Now the story is basically about Gullah Geechee people. How we came here and where we came from, okay? Now, Gullah Geechee people, most of them were brought over from West Africa, mostly Sierra Leone, and placed on the Barrier Islands all the way up and down the East Coast. But why Sierra Leone? Because Sierra Leone is a rice-growing region, and American colonists had no idea how to process and cultivate rice. So they went over and enslaved our people and brought them over to help them process and cultivate rice. Now, during all this process, they had to separate the tribes, of course, to get rid of the communication because we know communication is the key. So they divided the tribe. So the tribes got together and came up with a language called Gullah Geechee. Now, Gullah is the language. Geechee is the people. Okay, so you don't use them interchangeably, right? I think that's a really misconception Common misconception that people use them interchangeably, but they are two separate things. They are two separate things, but they mean the same thing. Okay. Because most Galakiji people came from West Africa and was placed all the way up and down the East Coast, even in the Bahamas, because the Bahamas was where they would send some of the renegade slave. Mm-hmm. Now, Gullah is the language, but Geechee is the people. And some scholars believe that the word Gullah arose from the Angola tribe, which is out of Africa. And over the years, the name just changed. Now, some scholars also believe that the word Geechee referred to the islanders in Georgia and those who settled along the Geechee River. So so the river was already named before the Geechee, oh, Geechee people? River. Okay. Mm-hmm. I thought that the Geechee people, the river would have been named after them first. No, the river was oh. named first. Yeah. And the reason they went through the Geechee River is because they would travel through St. Augustine. A lot of the renegade slaves 
would try to escape and bring other people with them and travel through the Geechee River to St. Augustine, where the Seminole Indians was, because that was kind of like a safe haven for enslaved people. What are some words that, I mean, we talked about the Ogeechee River. What are some other words or names of things in the Savannah area or otherwise that people may not know or derived from that? Um, some of the words are like uh, Kamya. Mm-hmm. Kamya just means come here. Um, churn or chillin means children. Gal means girl. Um, shot house, that's where they would sell illegal moonshine. And um, ain't it y'all? Hmm? That just means you agree with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, have you ever said that before? Yeah, ain't I, it y'all? Yeah, yeah I definitely agree with me. Yeah, and you hear these things pretty often living yeah. in Savannah and talking with locals, especially and stuff. I mean, those are some pretty, pretty colloquial sayings I'd say now, but so maybe some of our listeners might not be familiar with them, but people that are local to Savannah, they feel like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. all the time. <laughs> what cultural traditions, I mean, we're talking hundreds of years ago when the enslaved West Africans came to the plantations, what, what traditions from that culture are still practiced today, if any, what ones aren't? Can you speak a little more to that? Um, some of the traditions that is that continues to be practiced is um, religion. Um, we are we are big on religion, and pin, we believe that Pinpoint was found was founded on a was based on a religious foundation. Now, when I was growing up as a little girl, and they don't do this anymore, but we had a period that which was called seeking during a religious process. And that was a month long worth of traditions that we had to go through. We had to um, read the Bible every day. We had to go out in the woods every night at 12 o'clock facing the east to represent our motherland, Africa. We also had to be baptized by the time we were 12 years old. That was considered a rite of passage. And Pinpoint continued to give homage unto Africa even to this day because our church is slightly built towards the east and everyone that is laying in the cemetery, we are facing the east. Wow, really? Yes. Wow, that's amazing. It is amazing. And so and so you're born and raised pinpoint community. Do you still live in the area here? I still live in, a, in the area. I'm like a bad habit. They can't get rid of me. I still live on a property that my great-great-grandfather purchased. And originally he was... Um, a sharecropper on Skidaway Island, one of the Berry Islands. And um, when he moved to Pinpoint, he bought the property and he left it for his children, his children, children, and so forth and so on. That's incredible. Those, those are some serious roots. Yes, yes, definitely. My daughter and I had the privilege to visit Green Island and my grandfather's mother and father um, what's placed on Green Island. So we had the honor by a mutual friend who took us over there because Green Island is privately owned now. And we had the privilege to stand on top of a fort that was built in the 17th century. And the military, the soldiers had their names carved on the side and the dates. And then I had a spiritual moment because we went to the burial sites where they would bury, um, bury the slaves. And I tell you, it was just like so, 
spiritual. I got out of the Jeep. I stood in the middle of the cemetery and I literally cried. I just cried because I could feel, I could actually feel the spirit of our ancestors. And I could feel that they were saying, telling me they were okay. And I actually brought some of the stuff off the grave to my house. Wow. Yeah. Like what? A conch shell and a brick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a conch shell has been there for, yeah. you know, it's all tethered and beaten up and broken up. Yeah. But, you know, it's still intact and a brick because where they would, in, on Green Island, where they would um, bury the slave, they had like four brick pillows on mm-hmm. each side. And that's where they would bury the slaves. And so that gave me a sense of comfort because the reality of it is we know when a slave died, they didn't care, you know, they died, that's it, that's the end of it. But over there, it gave me a, a, cell, a, a, a inner feeling of the plantation owners respected them enough to make sure they were buried properly. Mm-hmm. Wow, that sounds like a really powerful experience. Yeah. Yeah. Where exactly is Green Island? I'm actually not very familiar with it. Green Island is um, uh, just before you get to Osceola Island. Okay. Yeah. And then you can only get there by boat. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm actually going to Cumberland Island this weekend for the first time. I'm really excited. Oh, awesome. I haven't been to many of these barrier islands. Mm-hmm. They are really hard to get to. Yeah. They are very hard to get to. Yeah. Um, but that's that's really amazing. What an incredible experience for you. Yeah, it, it was very eye-opening. The Gullah Geechee people you mentioned before are were, were placed or displaced, really, all mm-hmm. along the East Coast. Um, what are some other areas other than Savannah that um, people can, can find remnants of the culture and everything? Um, Louisiana. Okay. Is, is, is big because... Gullah, like I said, Gullah is a mixture of the Creole language as well. So, so people from Louisiana, um, even the Carolinas, Florida, so uh, Maryland, New York, even though they say that they're not. And we've had people that came from all over the world, but it's certain words that they would use that would let me know that you have some gullah in you. Uh, you've been around some gullah people, you know? So um, we've had people from all over the world come through. and But the gullah, gullah people are everywhere. They are everywhere, you yeah. know? Yeah, I think even for me, I know I always thought that it was very like specific to this area, but it is much more encompassing mm-hmm. of a much greater Absolutely. area and everything than not just the low country. All right. Um, so would you say that a lot of people, since you're from the pinpoint community and everything, do a lot of people who still live here today, are they, are, are, do they have family roots and everything? Or is it kind of moved out and it's a mix of people now? Or is it still a lot of the original families here in the area? Now, 85% of the people that lives in pinpoint are descendants of free people. Wow. And yes, there are uh, a mixture now, but when I was growing up, there was not, it was completely black. Um, but, and a lot of people have the misconception that there were never white people in Pinpoint. But there were always white people in Pinpoint, but the only difference was there was a buffer that we weren't allowed to cross. So that was the division, but they were always in Pinpoint, even in the beginning. But um, there we are a diverse community now. Um, so... What was the buffer and, and when did it? It was actually it's our church property. It was our church property. And 
they cleared it off. And so we had to go through another African-American yard in order to go to church because we weren't allowed to pass through the white folks yard to get to church. Mm-hmm. And and when around what time, like what year did that change? And how did that change? That's an interesting story. Well, actually it changed um, in about the 1960s. It changed about in the 1960s. And why did it change is because a lot of the white people that used to own the property, they became more open-minded. And back in the day when our ancestors were born, um, you know, whites stay in white place, black stays in one and, and your place. So that wasn't allowed and they didn't question it. But because the property that they have has been down from generation to generation and things are become more, people are becoming more open-minded now, um, that's the biggest change. Okay. Interesting. That's another amazing aspect of Pinpoint that I didn't know. Um, So the museum here is a really unique experience um, for our listeners. It's not... um, a super like modern, like Jepson Center Museum, like modern museum of history. It's a little more raw. I think people get kind of a more raw experience here. Um, can you explain a little bit about what people will see and learn when they come here and why this is so different than any other museum in Savannah? Cause it really is unlike any other experience. Well, people will get to, to see the history of Gullah Geechee people, where we came from, why we was brought here, when we owned the first piece of property, which was in the 1890s. And that was only because of during the 1890s, there was a series of devastating hurricanes that was destroying the Georgia coastline. And our ancestors were basically running away from the hurricanes because they didn't own any of the properties on the barrier islands. So they heard that this man named Judge McAlpin was trying to get rid of a lot of useless waterfront properties that you could only get to by boat. So they put their money together and started buying the waterfront properties. Then in the 1920s, they formed the um, Brother of Friendship Society. And what that um, organization did was collect money every every Monday and they would buy up the remaining properties so that the remaining um, freed people that were left on the barrier islands were able to own their own property. Now, what makes Pinpoint so unique from any other museum? I think that because Coastal Heritage has, has hired two people that actually are descendants of freed people and who live the story and can tell the story with so much passion and so much conviction and with truth. When when you come into the museum, the first thing you're going to do is pay your money, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And don't forget it. (laughs) And then you do have options, okay? You have an option to have a tour guide or you have the option of going through and reading 
all of this by yourself. Now, a lot of people, when they come up here and they see these little tiny buildings, they think there's not a lot to read. But we have had people here who did not do guided tour and has spent more than two hours here just reading and absorbing everything. So you would start, or we will start as interpreters in the crab boiling pavilion. And that's where the men would boil the crabs. And each one of those pots, they had three cast iron pots. And each one of those pots will hold up to 500 pounds of crabs. And the crabs are only boiled here, never steamed. And they would pick crab in the spring and the summer, oysters in the winter months. Then we would bring them into the picking and cooling house where we're seated at now. And this is where, in the picking and cooling, is where you would find the history of the Gullah Geechee people, where we came from, um, what we did. Um, you would also see um, pictures of Supreme Court Clarence Thomas. You would see um, the map of Pinpoint, the first properties that were bought, that were sold, the name of the owners of the properties. You will see pictures along the walls of the ladies picking crab. We also have videos that actually shows people picking crab. And the average crab picker that worked down here could pick a pound of crab meat in a minute and a half or less. These women were very fast. They had a craft that I tell you, I couldn't make a living because I'm going to tell you the truth. I would eat more than I pick. So that was not for me. And then they would lay down, put the crabs on the table and ice them down overnight until the women come in and they would clean them the next morning. Then our next um, venture would be to the oyster factory. Now, oysters in the winter months. And I know a lot of people say that we're not supposed to eat oysters without a month with an R in it. That is so untrue. We eat oysters all year round. Now, our ancestors respected the river and they knew everything about the river, but everything depended on the tide as well because they were using rowboat. They started off with a rowboat. They would have to row out with the tide because it's easier to go out with the tide than against the tide. So if the tide came in at three o'clock in the morning, the men would go out at three o'clock in the morning and they would bring the, the seafood in and ice them down and in an oyster factory. The reason they did not pick crabs within those four months is because oysters are actually receding themselves. In two weeks, oysters form eggs. Once the eggs are formed, they start to swim about and need to attach themselves to a hard surface. So that's why they replanted the empty shells back to the oyster bed so the oysters can reseed themselves. So they would start picking oysters in the middle of September. They would taper off in March. April, they are completely finished because the water's getting warmer, the crabs are coming back in, now it's time for crab season. But this is not the first crab factory in Pinpoint. This is the fourth crab factory in Pinpoint. The first crab factory was owned by freedmen, and that was on the west end of Pinpoint. But they had to close down because of the depression. This was Mr. Varn's second crab factory. But originally, this property belonged to a free person named Jim Street. Mr. Street borrowed some money from Mr. Vaughn, defaulted on the loan, and Mr. Vaughn got the deed to the property. 
So in conclusion, with that, with the Oyster Factory, we will also take them to the Devil Crab Building. And that is where we would have a lot of our childhood toys because the first doll that I ever had was a grass doll. And when I say grass doll, I literally mean a grass doll. We would pull the grass out of the ground and we would shake the dirt off of the root and we would wash the root and we would put grease onto it and braid the doll hair. So that was the first doll that I ever had. So we have things like that in there. We have the pluffer in there. We have the half rubber in there. Um, What's a pluffer? A pluffer is made out of a water hose and they would take a cane and they would shave the cane very carefully until it was smooth. Now they would put a spool, an empty spool, a thread, an empty thread spool on the end of that pluffer, okay? And they would put that china berry right at the hole of that hose and they would push it hard so it can shoot off. Oh, <laughs> oh, like a popcorn, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so. But then at the conclusion of the tour, I would do, um, I would test their Gullah Geechee language skills because I still speak Gullah very fluently. Gullah is my first language and English is my second. And it took me years to actually appreciate Gullah because during school I was often teased because of the way I spoke. Because I use word like ting and they say thing. I use word like that and they say that. So little stuff like that. So it wasn't hard for me to catch on to English, but I was definitely teased about it. And I also give Gullah, um, do like examples for people uh, and I'll give them a Gullah Geechee phrase and see if they can translate it into English for me. Oh, we have to hear and one. Then <laughs> Pushy, aren't you? I'm going to use the word omen and omen means woman. Okay. I'm going to use the word una, and una means you. Just remember that long means a lot. Now, you're going to have to translate it, this into English for me, okay? Okay. Omen, una need to watch that gal. She's spitting that long spit. Woman, you need to watch the girl. She's spitting a lot of spit. She's... Running She's running her mouth. Like no, and that's what most people think. She's throwing up. She might be pregnant. Oh, uh -huh. because spitting a lot is a sign of vomiting a lot, mm -hmm. which is a symptom of morning sickness. Ah, yeah. there we go. Okay. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. Oh wow, that's amazing. And then the final thing I would do at my tour is shouting. And the reason I do that is because that was the first form of entertainment that was brought over from West Africa into our community. Over in Africa, they call it ring shouting. It's done with the hand and the feet or the back of a mop handle or a broom handle on the floor. And, and so is it... So like, what, what do they do? Is it like they're like doing like constant things or in what, does there any meaning behind it or? Now, shouting is done in two forms. When we do it in a religious form, it's in the church. We believe that the Holy Spirit has entered the body. We don't touch that. Mm -hmm. When we do it in our homes, you're singing about someone you love, someone you admire. You're telling a story about someone or you're singing a spiritual song. Wow. I took, um, I have my 
bachelor's actually in dance and we we took like Dunham technique classes and like West African dance uh-huh. history and stuff and it was I mean it was very just high level overview stuff but it was really interesting and they talked about how in our dance history classes like the original dances in the whole world came out of Africa from religious dancing and so mm-hmm. yeah. like making that connection but that's really awesome yeah. So after you tell people the Gullah Geechee phrases, then do they can they explore the property? I just, you know, saw some picnic tables out here and everything. Uh, well, yeah, they do. Actually, mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to get people away, especially <laughs> when it's getting time for us to close because they just want to sit around and just absorb the fresh air and do something that's off the beaten path. And it's just... You know, we have had not, we haven't had any any tourists that came and and, and just didn't didn't want to stay. They they always just want to stay a little longer, stay a little longer. Well, um, we try to be as polite as possible because, as you guys can probably see, our parking lot is very limited. So we try to encourage people, you know, to just soak up everything, but then you know, be polite as possible. Definitely. I think that just goes to show what a valuable experience you're giving people here mm-hmm. though. And that this is something that they're really interested in learning more about and, and experiencing when they come here. Yeah. It's really, that's really cool. It's, it's good if you have a line out the door yeah, and you're right. shuffling. It's definitely along. good when it's a line out the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so why do you think that it's important that people come to the Pinpoint Museum and, and learn more about Gullah Geechee heritage? Well, I think it's important because America has has watered down the true story of Gullah Geechee people and African-American in general. They don't teach about Gullah Geechee people in history books in school. Um, You learn very little about African-Americans who have done so many different things and I feel that um, there's so much that we have to offer that a lot of people, you know, um, that, that they just don't get or they don't understand. They know about Rosa Parks. They know about Dr. Martin Luther King. They know about Fred, Frederick Douglass. And granted, these are pioneers to me and they have set the foundation. But again, do they know of people like Captain Dave Harris, who was the first African-American to fly a commercial airline. Do they know about Daniel Hale Williams, who performed the first open heart surgery? And the list can go on and on and on. So I feel that history needs to start including the, the, the truth and stop watering it down. And because we are such a diverse group of people and to be honest with you if it had not been on the back and the blood and sweat of tears of our ancestors there would be no america thanks for tuning in to this episode of savannah georgia anything but ordinary This podcast has been brought to you by Visit Savannah, the official destination marketing organization for Savannah, Georgia and the surrounding area, produced by Tyler Edick and hosted by Shannon Lowry. 
Make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite listening platform, follow us on social media at Visit Savannah, and learn more at visitsavannah.com.